Welcome to another edition of Trinity Radio. I am Jonathan Pritchett, and along with me is... Braxton Hunter. Ask and you shall receive. We were asked to talk about hell, and so Today we're... Today we're going to put you through it. <laughs> there you go. We're forgiven, we're shown mercy and grace, and our punishments probably aren't as harsh as they should be, even within this lifespan. Do skeptics bring objections to the case? Of course they do. What's going on with you today? <laughs> they just don't like it. They don't like it that God is just and he has every right as creator to do what he will. God is the best explanation for the beginning of the universe. Of now y'all having to look at our faces, which for that I apologize. <laughs> okay. So, um, it seems like everyone else on the Trinity Commission is talking about inclusivism and what can be termed the universal witness and general revelation and who gets to be saved, who gets to go to heaven and all of that. So, um, we we talked briefly before the show about whether we should do that same thing and then we decided, no, let's go the complete other direction and talk about hell. Uh, But that's not entirely because we wanted to talk about this. This is at least, there's been at least 10 times that someone has requested yes. that we talk about hell on the show. Mm-hmm. So uh, Dr. Pritchett actually said the other day, why don't, why don't we just do this? And I said, no, we're not doing it. <laughs> and then today I was like, I don't have any better ideas, so let's do it. <laughs> After all, I do teach a class on this at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary, and I noticed that one of our listeners, can't remember the name, Heidi, somebody um, said, maybe it was Heidi, some, somebody that was a female listener said, you ought to do this. I want to know more about hell. You ought to do this. Show. What I should have said to her was, okay, well, you're a student. Just take the nature of hell class <laughs> as an elective, right. which is what all of you ought to do. Yeah, you can audit it for $35 and so forth. And it's actually a very popular course. Every time it comes around, it gets a ton of students in there because everyone's curious about hell. And, of course, you go over the various... Well, first you start with a kind of a historical overview and development, and then all the way to its influence in pop culture, and then you kind of go into the, the major perspectives on hell, and you try to be as unbiased as possible when you present those views. Which is precisely what I'm going to try to do in this episode. Um, so I'll tell you what, I, let me just go ahead and let the cat out of the yeah. bag right here. Yeah. For decades now, I have... Uh, preached the etern- what is called, we'll talk about this more, but we'll talk about the traditionalist view, mm-hmm. or what is also referred to as the eternal conscious torment view. Now, since there are a lot of people that uh, listen to this show who are a part of the traditional Baptist movement, those people are called traditionalists, but so are people who believe in the eternal conscious torment traditional view of hell, at least traditional. Yeah, it depends on the topic, who gets called right. traditionalist, because... Like and liberals, the same criticism, right? And, well, liberals are calling um, conservatives on, you know, interpreting the Bible as saying no to homosexuality. They call them traditionalists for believing the Bible, right? <laughs> but um, in this context, you're a traditionalist if you affirm uh, the eternal conscious torment view, which. When I, I interesting right now, there's the the rethinking hell conference was just last weekend at the time mm-hmm. we're shooting this video, and our friend Nick Quint presented uh, a paper there, 
And they didn't... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And they didn't provide any video, so anyone who might be interested in that... I still wanted to see the video. Yeah, they're behind the times. They don't stream their videos at their conference like every major conference. So get with it, fellas. Um, if you want us to care, show us your stuff. If you, know? you don't know what that's about, we'll talk about what Rethinking Hell is and what their position is and all that sort of thing. But uh, my debate opponents on. from uh, Remodeling Basement Ministries uh, yeah. condemned um, that view and said if you... If you be- believe it, you're going to hell. Right, you, you are going to hell to suffer for all eternity if you're... And one uh, thing that is a theme of this program that I want you to understand is there are obviously certain things that you have to believe if we're to consider you in any sense Christian. So we're not like being so open-minded that our brains fall out, but at the same time, I want you to understand something. Wrongness does not necessarily equal lostness in every case. Right. If the guys at Rethinking Hell and Gals are wrong about the nature of hell, it doesn't mean that they're lost, all right? Just like those guys at uh, uh, remodeling the, the remodeling basement, basement ministry, ministries. just like they, uh, I think they are horribly wrong and may not even consider you and I brothers in Christ. No, they definitely don't consider uh, me. They, they made that clear. Uh, no. that I still think they're probably brothers in Christ, you know? I mean, yeah, I, I do too, because I think terrible people can be Christians. Right. And a lot of, some of the worst people I've ever met are Christians. Well, you know, I just recently read uh, The Brothers Karamazov by yeah. Fyodor Dostoevsky. You know what people said about him? They're like, he was a Christian, but he was like the worst one we've ever met. Right. Like, that's, that was what they I thought mean, about you him. know, and, and of course, being uh, philosophically minded and, and so forth, I, I like to... Uh, when I think of hell, I, I like to agree with Sartre and think, you know... It's other people. Hell is other people. By the way, I could give some popular quotes on hell. You know what Mark Twain yeah. said? He said, go to heaven for the climate, hell for the company. Yeah. John Milton, Paradise Lost, he said, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Actually, I think that's one of the characters that ends up after the after the rebellion yeah. in heaven, they get sent yeah. to hell. Anyway, uh, yeah, John Paul Sartre, hell is other people. Uh What's some good ones here? Bonnie Ray has a quote on hell. She, I've met Bonnie Ray, by the way. Here's what she says. Religion is for people who are scared to go to hell. Spirituality is for people who have already been there. <laughs> Jerry Lee Lewis said, <laughs> if, if I'm going to hell, I'm going there playing the piano. Yeah. Uh, Aldous Huxley, maybe this world is another planet's hell. Yeah, could be. Not true, but interesting yeah. concept for a novel. Um, Ricky Gervais from The Office, the yeah. British version of The Office, the creator of The Office. A Christian telling an atheist they're going to hell is as scary as a child telling an adult they're not getting any presents from Santa. Um, and then this new pop star, I'd never heard of her, Beth Dido or Ditto or whatever. She says, you live in this... Sh-. Now, this is interesting. I almost did a show on this because there's a YouTube, like, why I'm a guy who admits this. Mm-hmm. You live in the shadow that you're going to burn in hell until you're saved, and I still worry about it a little. I don't believe in heaven, but I do steer, still fear hell. Huh. Telling, huh? Weird. Okay, so there are interesting thoughts about Though hell. they know God. <laughs> I think it worthwhile. Well, I mean, Romans 1 all over the place. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's an indication of that there. Right. Uh, but but so really what we're here to do is I, I would love to just teach the whole class. I'm looking at my PowerPoint here from my class on hell. I'd love to teach the whole class here, but you wouldn't want that. Let's um, just do the next... Uh, I don't know, 20 videos. We'll just talk about it. We'll become the hell show. <laughs> it wouldn't take 20, but it would take... Well, yeah, with us both talking, it might take 20. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, okay. No, we're going to wrap this thing up in one. <laughs> but now, what I want to do is we're going to talk about pr- basically three views held by evangelicals here. Yeah. And one thing I want to say right from the jump is people... Like, I just saw like a Southern Baptist Theological Seminary trained scholar 
say recently on Facebook that pluralism and inclusivism, not that that's what we're really talking about here, were the same thing. No. So, I mean, it's like... Come on. It's like no. um, people need to understand terminology. And so what yeah, I... Yeah, I know you're not going to say the person's name. Yeah, but I you mean, know who it is, should, too. Uh, they should own their... If they're going to type it in public, own it. But um, what we're going to do here is um, I want to make a couple of things clear. First of all, all three of the views that we're going to consider are held by evangelicals and each view believes in the existence of a real place that we might term hell. Yeah. Okay? None of them believe that it's not real. Okay, mm-hmm. um, And those three views that we're going to talk about are, one, the traditionalist view, the eternal conscious uh, torment view. Oh, I meant to finish up what I was going to say. I have for 20 years now taught the eternal conscious torment view. Mm-hmm. That's not exactly fair because for the past, I think, eight years, I think it was about 2010, for the past eight years, I've started adding certain caveats in case I'm not entirely correct about the eternal conscious torment view. What I've started saying is, well, we'll get there. Remind me to bring this up again when we get there. I trust that you'll remember that. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate the confidence. I I do. But another thing to remember is, so so there's traditionalism. We're going to talk about what's called conditional immortality or which is somewhat crassly termed annihilationism. The idea that you will die and then that'll just be the end. Like you'll Re- suffer for a period Rethinking hellism? Of That's <laughs> rethinking hell's broad... I mean, there's differences within. Yeah. But but basically the belief is you will go to hell. There is a hell. Yeah. You will suffer there, commensurate to your crimes, basically. And then you'll be annihilated. You won't exist anymore. Right. It's called the conditional immortality and the, view. the recently departed... Uh, Fudge. Edward Fudge. Edward yeah. Fudge held that view, popularized it. And, yeah. and there's a movie about his life. Yeah, uh, Hell and Mr. Fudge. I watched If you're an Amazon Prime person, it's free. Are you serious? Yeah. And so I haven't I, seen it yet. Yeah, I watched it. Um, my, my wife and I watched it. Um, it's going to be some, uh, some yeah, it, it was theology well, tonight. It was well done. It was, uh, it was almost as good as... Um, the least trouble movie. You know, I'm always looking for something. So for a Christian movie, it wasn't garbage, is I'm, what I'm trying to say. I'm you all... can watch it, and it will only make you wince once or twice. But well, don't... I'm always looking for something for me and Sarah yeah. to watch at night after the kids go to bed. And it's nice to find something romantic, and I don't know what's more romantic than Edward Fudge. So Deep Space uh, Nine. That's, <laughs> okay. what, that's what so, we're watching uh, so, but, 25th anniversary. So conditional immortality, and the reason it's called conditional immortality is because immortality is conditional. In mm-hmm. other words, it's conditional in you trusting and repenting and believing in Jesus so that you can have everlasting life. Otherwise, you'll be annihilated, and so you're not just innately immortal as many people think. Then the third position is what is called universal uh, or evangelical universalism. And uh, now, see, here's one of those places where people are going to be like, oh, univer- that's Oprah Winfrey. That's what she believes, universalism. We're not talking about that universalism you're thinking of, like all roads lead to heaven type thing. What we're talking Which about... Is pluralism. Right. What we're ta- that's right. What we're talking <laughs> about is uh, you're going to hell if you don't trust Jesus, but... Uh, there may be, an, these people would say... This is Rob Bell's hell. Yeah, that's pretty well. Yeah. yeah. There'll be an opportunity to repent there, and since hell is hell after all, pretty well everyone's to repent eventually yeah. and end up in heaven. So it's a universalism via hell for those people that go there. Yeah. Okay, now... And some people would say, well, why would they call it evangelical when that's not evangelical? 
And what would you say to those people? I say, I'm not an evangelical, and that word doesn't mean anything, so I could care less what they call it. Okay, they say that. They, they add that. Uh, it's got other names for it. They, they call it that, though, to differentiate it from, like, the Oprah Winfrey universalism right. or whatever. Um, so that's, that's the reason for that. Uh, Christian universalism, evangelical universalism, there are other names for it. So anyway, uh, in case that bothers you, like some, for some people there's just like a knee-jerk reaction because here's the thing, even if your view is a view that you would prefer not be the case, the fact that you have deeply held this view for decades or your whole life, for your pastor preached it, your parents taught it to you, the very idea that that view could be different than what you think, we don't like mm-hmm. that. Because and, we don't like change, and we like foundational beliefs. And last night I listened to what, what, a position that was similar to evangelical youth, um, universalism. It was hopeful inclusivism. Oh, yeah? Yeah, but it was basically a universalist view because it, the hopeful inclusivism wasn't the same kind of inclusivism that people were talking about lately with um, people who've never heard the unevangelized, that kind of thing. It has more to do with um, help people possibly emptying out hell at some point in the future. That it was kind of a post um, a post resurrection inclusivism. Okay. So so that's a I, I, that's somewhere between inclusivism sounds, and universal. But yeah. it sounds more it like sounds universal. like evangelical universalism. Yeah, a form yeah. of that. But he was now, calling if, it but he was calling I, but it I get on the phone else. with a, a pastor friend of mine that I used to pastor in the same area that he did and we were talking about these views and I was explaining to him conditional immortality and he's like that is terrible. I was like, no, I know, I get it. Like, you weren't raised with this, and, and I wasn't raised with it, and so, you know, it, it sounds crazy and, and bothersome and all that. He's like, no, I mean, I don't like it because I want those people that are God-haters like Richard Dawkins uh, to burn in hell for all eternity. Now, I want them to repent and believe the gospel. Yeah, if you're, <laughs> if you're that person, I don't know what to say to you. Yeah. Those sound like the people from Rebaptizing America or whatever it was that you, that you debated. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, uh, Remodeling basement ministry. Okay. All right. Uh, but the thing about it is, uh, uh, I think a lot of people would have sympathies with what J.I. Packer had to say about this. Mm-hmm. J.I. Packer said, No evangelical, I think, need hesitate to admit that in his heart of hearts, he would like universalism to be true. Who can take pleasure in the thought of people being eternally lost? If you want to see folk damned, there is something wrong with you. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, it kind of sounds like Yahweh when he says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, right. except for your preacher friend who takes yeah, all kinds of takes pleasure. pleasure in the death of the wicked. <laughs> so okay. Not when, quite Yahweh, but that's fine. When I teach this class, I typically, before I get into those views, I go through all of the kind of apologetic theodicies for hell. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to do that here. And the reason is because I've done it before and maybe even this season. Uh, I think I gave one answer that has to do with uh, justice and the cat and the man and killing a cat and killing a man and then uh, or sinning against a cat. Can we even cover a little bit of that in the, in the, 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 the crazy guy video? I, I, yeah. So I'm not going to go over that again. Just go back and listen to our back catalog. Uh, there are All a couple, of our back catalog. Listen to everything. There are a couple on of On YouTube and share it with your friends. Yes, please do. Oh, oh, that's a good thing for me to mention now. Now, we are going to continue here in just a minute. Please don't turn us off or skip ahead. But we just have launched a Patreon account. Mm-hmm. Patreon is a way for you to give on a monthly basis to Trinity. Now, Trinity Radio. Trinity Radio. See, the, if you missed our Facebook Live video about this, Trinity Radio 
can't necessarily be supported by Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary because even though Trinity's doing okay, Trinity Seminary's doing okay, theological institutions are, are, are having trouble across the board, and we need those funds for something else. Um, yeah. You have an option to give as little as $5 or as much as you want. Yes. If you give $5, I want you to think about this. You enjoy a nice Starbucks or whatever it is you buy for $5 that you enjoy in almost every other day, and you don't even think that much about it. Like, it's not a big deal to you. So the, if the, you get an hour's yeah. worth or even 30 minutes worth of pleasure out of Trinity Radio, just uh, think about, pray about spending at least as much as on us as you do on a cup of right. coffee. Right, if you're a disgruntled <laughs> Southern Baptist who doesn't like how they're spending the CP money which is all I read about in Southern Baptists. Um, we'll take it. Yeah, so uh, I'll leave that commercial there, <laughs> and uh, we'll move on from that. Uh, but uh, what was I talking about then? So oh. when I teach this class, typically I do this, these, these theodicy-type things. How is God just in light of hell, however you understand hell? And I go through the... Because the, you're wicked sinners, and he, you know... Is, they just, just don't like it. They just don't like it. Right. Here that, we go again. <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, but look, God's just, and we're wicked people who deserve it. So, you know. So the answers I give in there uh, are, I, I give the answer that I give about God's justice, and um, he's a, a, a maximally just God. Yeah. So all that. Now, but then there are other views. There are other yeah. answers. I do want to say this, though. Mm-hmm. This has nothing. It's a, I do want to criticize a preacher's line here, though. Because people okay. can say, I'm too, yeah, you deserve hell, and I hope you go. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but the other side is I hear preachers say, well, we shouldn't be amazed that anybody goes to It shouldn't surprise us that anyone goes to hell, but it should very much surprise us that God would save anyone, right? Have you heard people say that? I have heard that. And yes. m- m- my response to that is, no, it shouldn't. If you know who God is, it shouldn't be surprising that God saves people. Yes. Just like it shouldn't be surprising that God damns people. Right. Neither should be surprising. And the so, reason is because... So stop talking like that. He's maximally loving right. and merciful. He's, he's maximally also maximally just. just. Right. So if you plug that into the equation, you get... Uh, it's just like on the last episode. If you plug, plug in maximal love and maximal justice, guess what? You get both of those things. That's right. right. So you shouldn't be surprised if you understand Christianity. So don't say that anymore. So the, the justice thing, that's one that's all, thing. Yeah. Another answer people give is the um, is the hell's not that bad answer. Uh, oh, is that the... <laughs> see, the traditional t- torment crowd is divided into two camps. No, it's not that. Oh. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, this is like the Ted Turner answer. Ted Turner famously said that he would rather go to hell than heaven since that is where all the most interesting people would be anyway. Now, the, the belief is that hell will not be a place. The thing is, if you think that, if you want to say, well, hell's not that bad. That's where all the best people are going to be. I'd rather go to hell. It tells me one of two things is true or both. Either you don't know what the Bible says about hell or you don't believe it. <laughs> or both right. of those things. Or or you don't love God enough. You don't understand God. God is, right. you know, eternity with Christ or eternity with your favorite celebrity. What is your problem? Right, That's right. not even a contest. Shut up, Ted right. Turner. Right. Um, and no, um, I want to be in heaven because Jesus is there. Yeah. But I don't mind also saying, I also want to be there because my dad is there. Amen. You know? That's touching. 
Well, no, I'm just saying, and that doesn't take away from how much because Jesus is there, my dad can be there too. Yeah. So it's all about Jesus. Do you find now this, this takes a, us it, a field know. a little bit? But you brought up right. something. I yeah. want to add for those that don't know, Doctor Pritchett's father passed away several years ago. Do you? I think that I will be this way. Do you find that the afterlife is more real to you now that someone you love like that and know that well and had such a relationship with is there? Um, it's more important to me. Um, it's always, as a, as a you know, worldview-dependent belief, if you believe this, you get heaven too. Mm-hmm. The afterlife, is it more real? It's more, I don't know... I don't know if more real, but it's more pressing. It's more on my mind, especially I'm getting older too. So I'm thinking about it more. It's more pertinent to my life. Yeah. But after my father died, it's it's more of it's more the longing for it than I had. There's a little more looking forward to it than yeah. being afraid of it. Type right. And, you know, the, the, the flip side is that is, you know, if Christianity is false, well, I won't know the difference either. Yeah, um, that's but, right. <laughs> but that's it, right. It has Honestly. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But but the, the thing is, it hasn't become more real for me, but it has become more relevant to me. Yeah, I see. Uh, and and, it, and it, that increases because people, you know, Sam Schmidt, um, and I, he recently lost his father, too. And we were talking about this. And... Um, you know, I couldn't offer much help um, because it never goes away. You don't ever get, it's not something you ever get over the death of a parent, unless you had a poor relationship with your parent. I know some people do. Um, it would devastate me, to, whatever your view of hell is, it would devastate me to the point that I would want universalism to be true if I thought my dad didn't go to heaven. Right. Um, and that's an emotional thing. That's, there's no, of the three views, just spoiler alert, it's the the one I'm, that's least convincing to both of us, right? But it, but emotionally, it's the most satisfying, it, right? And yeah. and I don't think that that's I I get it when people do that because I mean we're not Spocks, so I understand the impulse to find any biblical tether they can to sure. this view, especially if you have a lot of loved ones who you know won't end up in heaven, right? And you just want God to you know, some chance, you know, yeah. some hopeful, like this guy was talking, some hopeful inclusivist universalism or something you want. So I get it. And that's why I'm not disrespectful um, to to views like this, even though I don't agree with it at all. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm just, I understand. You why agree with J.I. Packer. Every evangelical deep down right. kind of would like universalism to be true because right. they don't want people to be damned. If you want people to be damned, that's strange. And it's not like yeah. they have no case to make, but I don't well, find we'll it We'll talk about yeah. the case. So uh, the last defense that some people give for how God is just in light of hell is what is what I call, and I mentioned to William Lane Craig, who I first heard espouse it, uh, or he didn't espouse it. He offered it as a possibility. And I mentioned it to him, and, and he took on that terminology. And Yeah, that's a good word for it, phrase for it. Uh, the eternal offender answer. The answer is aimed at the objection to the traditional view of hell, and it posits that man's suffering would only fit the crime. That is to say, it might be that an individual's suffering would be equivalent to the sins he committed, except, like, in other words, if you killed three people, your punishment might be equivalent to, like, I don't know, three life sentences or whatever. Like it would be equivalent uh, to whatever sin you committed, except that once one is in hell, 
the wicked individually will only continue to sin in that with every passing moment they will hate God all the more. Yeah, in purpose. In other words, they continually... They compound their damnation. Right, compound their damnation. It's almost like yeah. getting in a fight every day in prison and prolonging your sentence, you know? Right. Uh, I don't personally find that one satisfying, but it's an option on the table that some people have, have given. The criticism... Oh, I put a criticism. <laughs> the problem with this answer is that it has no or very little biblical data to recommend it, and God would have known this upon sending the individual to hell. Thus, the sentencing would have been eternal suffering Anyway, right, right. So, so anyway, uh, but I don't have I don't that. have a problem. See, this is a thing. I, most for for people who are into biblical studies, mm-hmm. exegetes, we're, we're not always to us. A lot of theology is speculative. Okay, sure. we look at a lot of systematic theology stuff and say, yeah, you're making that up. But right. you know. But I understand why you have to stack your inferences. Well, you've got, and I do think that that's an okay inference to to make about why somebody will be perpetually damned and compounding their damnation. Does that make with certain things? Yes, I think with, that's a valid inference. I understand the criticism. For me, you can't attach a Bible verse to it. Which doesn't to mean me, it's false. Which to me right? is a non-star. And I'm sorry, I, I don't agree with Jerry Wall's purgatory view, right? Mm-hmm. But my argument against it doesn't begin with, well, that's not in the Bible. Care less. Most things that most facts about reality. People that believe in purgatory think it's in the Bible and yeah. in Maccabees. <laughs> right. But I mean, most true things are not in the Bible. Mm-hmm. You're a certain height and weight, right? There's two right. facts about you. There's 7 billion people. There's 14 billion facts and truth Those about reality Bible. that are not in the Bible. So that's yeah. not the that's not the, the the main criticism. Does it does it work against things that you can find in Scripture? That's the problem I have with Jerry Wall's purgatory. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so, I don't, I'm not afraid of it. I mean, I don't bother. Believe right. what you want, Jerry. I love, love you, man. So um, I don't confine you to the the point you're making is the flames for that. You know, it's no big with deal. certain things in the Bible, we would like more information than what we have. And so, if we're going to do systematic theology on angelology or the, what hell is like or things like that. We, it's almost like we've got this pattern and we have this point here and this point here and this point back here that we do get yeah. from the Bible. And if we're going to make sense of these points, we have to lay some sort of a grid on top of it to yeah. try and make sense of and it. And inductively reason from the text. And, and so the negative sense. space is made up of our speculations, right? Yeah. Or inferences or whatever. Yeah. So And we all do it and it's fine. Um, I just wanted to point out that... Um, some some objections don't really register. With so with hell, Craig is, and he's not the only one, is saying, okay, we know God's maximally loving and merciful. We know that uh, in his, from his perspective, the eternal conscious suffering view is true. So how do we make sense of that? So he's laying a pattern on top of it. This would mm-hmm. make sense of it. Okay, anyway, uh, so getting into the, the meat of this now, uh, first what we need to do is talk about the four words that the Bible uses that are translated as hell in some or all translations, um, okay? Yeah, and so, this is part of the problem with our dialogue. Yeah, yeah. okay. For, exa- for instance, <laughs> one of the problems is, in the New Testament alone, there are three, but we're going to talk about two words yeah. specifically that are translated hell that the New Testament authors, including the voice of Jesus, actually use different words right. on purpose. Gehenna but yet the King Hades. James Bible decided... It's all hell. It's all hell. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right, so the, the four words are shale... Uh, this is the Hebrew word Sheol, it is mentioned numerous times in the Old Testament and is regularly translated as hell by the King James translators. Mm-hmm. Sheol actually refers to death or the grave and is understood to be the place where both the righteous and the unrighteous go after death. 
Okay, so you see Sheol in the Old Testament. Um, maybe it's talking about hell in a couple of places, but more often than not, it's talking about the grave. Uh, it's talking about uh, the place of the dead, and it's uh, a catch-all phrase for righteous and unrighteous people. Okay, uh, the Greek Septuagint translates Sheol into Hades, including when New Testament authors are quoting Old Testament Sheol passages. Okay, so Sheol, death, the grave. Right, got that. Okay, and, and yeah. Uh, Hades. The Greek word Hades appears 11 times in the New Testament and is usually translated, uh, is usually a translation of Sheol. Mm -hmm. Jesus uses it only three times. Neither Hades nor Sheol are referring to the ultimate punishment of unbelievers after the judgment. Neither Hades nor Sheol are referring to the ultimate punishment of unbelievers after the judgment. That's important, right. and we'll come back to that, okay? Uh, Revelation 20, 14 even refers to Hades being cast into the lake of fire, thus it is not the same place as what we typically mean when we say hell, right? Yes. Because it's going to be cast into the lake of fire. Okay. Which some people think is analogous to the Gehenna usage that we'll get to in a minute. Right, right. Uh, Tartarus. The Greek word Tartarus is from the word Tartaru and is only used once in the New Testament. That usage is in 2 Peter 2, 4, which says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, Tartarus, and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. Tartarus is frequently, though, found in Jewish apocalyptic literature, where it refers to a place even lower than hell, where the wicked are punished, according to John Walvoord. So, uh, Tartarus seems to be a holding place for the demonic. At least that's the best guess from yeah. what Peter says, because he's says that they committed to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, okay? Only one time in the New Testament, okay? Okay, so this brings us to now the word in the New Testament that probably is what you think of when you refer to hell most of the time, and that word is... Gehenna. The Greek word Gehenna from the Hebrew Gehinnom refers literally to a valley, the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom, to Jerusalem's west and south, Figuratively, it refers to a place of judgment. Yes, and Google images of it. It's kind of nice. I'll put one up on the screen for the YouTube <laughs> yeah. uh, for the YouTube viewers. Yeah. Uh, I've actually been there. This is a real place. Right. I don't think a lot of people know this. When Jesus uses the word Gehenna, and he's the one referring time to that Jesus, place, right? He's referring to a actual. And this is the word that's translated hell that that may actually be a reference to actual hell, but yeah. the word that he uses. There's no question he's using imagery. He's Im he's using Gehenna as yeah. an image for hell. And it's a lovely city park. <laughs> I was there just a few months ago. I mean, they've got little picnic tables and park benches, and all they need is a big sign sitting there that says, Welcome to Hell, you know? <laughs> right. Because it's, it's beautiful. Like, there's college students throwing Frisbee and doing that new thing where you tie the thing and you walk on the thing. And it's just, you know, kids playing, dogs barking. It's it's a beautiful place, hell, this yeah. time of year. Um, but... Uh, the, it hasn't always been that way. Yeah. Um, I don't have this in the PowerPoint presentation, so I'll just tell you. But when Jesus used the word Gehenna to refer to people that are going to be judged, he is referring to a, everyone standing around would have known what he was talking about. He was referencing a place that in Israel's past, uh, this had been a place where waste had been burned, including human waste and animal carcasses and occasionally human carcasses, a place where the smoke is there all the time, you know, when you're burning this trash. They didn't have proper waste disposal systems. And more telling, it is also the place where the apostate Jews in the Old Testament uh, would uh, begin worshiping the false god of Molech and causing their children to pass through the fire, which means 
uh, child sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And because the, the, they couldn't handle the screams of these children, they would enlist drummers to march around Molech beating the drums to drown out the sounds of the screaming children, which of course wouldn't drown out the sounds of the screaming children. It would just serve to make the whole thing that much more terrifying. Everyone standing there listening to Jesus, when he said Gehenna, they were thinking of all these things. Right. And uh, that is a fitting image for, for Jesus to use for judgment yeah. and, and, and people that are not going to achieve, ever, get, not achieve, but be granted everlasting life, right? So, uh, so Gehenna is a, as a place of judgment. It is only used by Jesus and only in the synoptics. It is used 12 times in the New Testament. Once by James in James 3, 6, but it doesn't really tell us anything. James just says, tongue is set aflame with the fire of Gehenna. Um, mm-hmm. And then 11 times it's used by and Jesus. You know, he, he's probably um, echoing Jesus there too. Yeah. Like he does throughout the whole book of James. So yeah. he, he takes that vocabulary. And... and we said that it's used 11 times by Jesus, but... You count the parallels. You, know, you... you get four times. Right. And I'll share those with you in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 22 and 29 and 30. Uh, then the second place is in warning the disciples not to fear men in Matthew 10, 28 and Luke 12, 4 and following. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third time is in the discourse on relationships in Matthew 18, 9 and then Mark 9, 43, 45 and 47. And then the fourth time is in his denunciation of the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23, 15 and 33. Yes. Two fun facts. When preachers say Jesus talked more about hell than anybody Amen. that's true he talked about it four times as opposed to <laughs> referencing it once and, right. uh, and another fun fact you know how many times paul mentioned hell zero yes now he talked about judgment he talked about eternal destruction things like that but he didn't talk about hell now i will put never uh, preached hell i will put this that's slide. weird that's i find that weird well yeah and let's what you said is true, and I say it in the class just like you said it. But then I always also back up and say, however, he did talk about judgment, like you said, mm-hmm. and he does talk about he does indirectly reference God's judgment for those and he did, and eternal destruction, which is a, yeah. a key verse in um, what is that First Thessalonians something. Mm-hmm. I, I, remember, I'm not a Paul guy. First Thessalonians five three. Thank you, and and then that that. That's a big verse in this whole fight. Yeah. Um, also, Second Thessalonians one nine, everlasting right. destruction from right. the presence of the Lord. Right. In fact, I have this powerful. I don't know if you've ever seen this slide, but I have it in a really small font. However, I have, and I'll put it on the screen. I have one slide that contains on one PowerPoint slide everything in the New Testament that could possibly be referring to hell. Okay that could even possibly be your friend. And it all fits on one PowerPoint slide right. in font size, let's see, nine. Okay, so nine's small, but 25 passages is what I have here. Okay, that's interesting, okay, because we do talk about all the time, you know, hell is just all the time everywhere in the Bible. Um, not necessarily, why are you looking at me like that? Are you just enjoying the show as a listener? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm actually, I was looking at your PowerPoint before you switched the screen there. Yeah. And just fascinated that you can read that. See, I, I had to go come to grips with the fact that I'm old. And I yeah. had to buy spectacles uh, so that I could continue reading because I won't wear contacts because contacts are things that okay. stab you in the eyeball. So, so in, 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 you're, I think you're going to say no. 
Should I read this? No. Okay. But it's going to be on the screen, and you can go get the YouTube video and pause it and look at and it. And if you audit okay. the course, you can download the PowerPoint. That's true. So $35 to listen to him talk about hell for several hours. I make it fun. We talk about movies. I make hell fun. For example, did you know that according <laughs> to the... There's an ad for it. Yes. <laughs> yes. The only seminary that makes hell fun. <laughs> did you know that the IMDB... Uh, the Internet Movie Database has a hundred. Says there's 111 movies that picture yeah. hell. Almost all of them picture picture it in unbiblical ways. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, my favorite would be uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. It has a horrible picture of hell. Right. Okay. Um, so the, the the views on hell. Uh, okay. One last thing we need to do before we jump right into the, the, the three views we're going to discuss. I know, don't look at me like that across the waves of the internet. I, I understand that you're str- frustrated with this, but I've got to They're find... Like, why is this video so long? Well, because it's... Because Hell's real and you're going. That's what... This is how much I believe on. there's a hell, is I'm spending this much time on it. Uh, we need to talk about the rich man and Lazarus, okay? This, and the reason is because... This is a key piece of evidence for the for some people, not all, who argue the eternal eternal the eternal conscious suffering position, right. the traditionalist position, uh, and it's something that we need to talk about. Uh, in Luke sixteen nineteen through thirty one, you know the you know the story. Most of you probably about the you know la- summarize the story for us. Apparently, there is a geographic layout in the underworld where. <laughs> You can speak without screaming across a great chasm, and you have Lazarus wanting his tongue to be cooled, obviously. The rich man. Did I, I said Lazarus. I'll edit it out. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, so the rich man wanted, wanting his tongue cooled and yes. asking for Lazarus to be allowed to give him a drop of water. Right, right. Okay. And, of course, Abraham's like, not going to happen. Right. And Lazarus, uh, the rich man, why am I confusing the two? The rich man wants to go I'll return. tell you why you're confusing the two in a minute. Okay. The rich man wants to return from this place because he wants to warn his family. Yeah. And <clears throat> Abraham says, it's not going to happen either, you know. Um, and, you know, there is a question as to whether this is a parable or not. There's uh, a question, is this giving us the geography of the afterlife or not. Mm-hmm. Um, all sorts of weird questions about this uh, story here. Yeah, the, Luke, this passage is thought often to provide data about the nature of hell. But this is a place where it is important to understand the distinction between Hades and Gehenna. Let's just assume for a second that this picture is a literal picture of what happens to people after they die. It's still not hell. Because if you die today, uh, before the judgment, you die today, your body's going to go out here in the ground somewhere, and your spirit may go somewhere, is going to go somewhere, right? Right. Uh, okay, but, but that is obviously a different existence, no matter what you think about it, to after the judgment when body and soul will be cast into hell, mm-hmm. right? Gehenna. So you've got these two different different things completely. This is why yeah. the New Testament authors use two different words, right? right? So okay. this is still not hell. This, even if you wanted to, you can't say this is what hell is going to be like with certainty because... It's Hades. This is Hades. This is not and, hell. And this gets thrown into hell. Right. This, or this gets thrown into the lake of fire. Right. Hades gets thrown into the lake a- of fire. So it's interesting because 
Some which is probably imagery. Okay, but go ahead. Well, and there's a theologians and biblical exegetes debate everything because they're going to debate. I'm saying Hades being thrown into the lake of fire. That's not debated. That's part imagery. of the text. Yeah. But that is imagery, mm-hmm. and some people would say, well. The lake of fire corresponds to what Jesus meant by Gehenna, mm-hmm. but the text doesn't give you that. That's an mm-hmm. inference. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're reading something Jesus said four times into something that John writes. Maybe, you know, or maybe, or maybe it is. The maybe same. Hades is being emptied out into Gehenna, and yeah. Gehenna is like Hades, and perhaps worse, a lake of fire. Right. Right. I mean, you know, it's, but it's, I mean, there's but there's really no textual connection right. between what John talks about the lake of fire. It requires some of that pattern. Right. Building. You've got to put it yeah. all together. Um, and there will be people who will say, yes, Gehenna and the lake of fire are equivalents. And there will be others who say, no. Now, here's the big here's the big thing. Because I think when people first, because we, we, whatever your position is, you want to take these positions seriously and look at them. And I think when most people come to the rich man and Lazarus, they're like, Right there, it is. I mean, right. What one, more do you it's want? It's a true you know? story because in no other parable Does is using a real name. Yeah. And then, even though Lazarus is a very common name, and then of course there's the liberal argument. Well, you know, in John's gospel, this Lazarus story gets embellished even more, where Lazarus comes back from the dead. Um, that's how liberal scholars argue. Um, the truth is. Jesus had a friend named Lazarus who he raised from the dead. And there's this story that Jesus tells about a guy named Lazarus. And there's probably three million, not three million, but 3,000 other folks named Lazarus walking around in the vicinity of where Jesus was because it's a common name. So here's the thing. So this is, yeah. for those people that come How to this, you shake that out, it's up to you. Where, yeah, where people come and say, this is a slam dunk. Well, here's the thing. As we said, number one, this gets you Hades. This does not get you Gehenna necessarily. Yeah. And on top of that... It is strongly believed by some scholars that Jesus was appropriating a known motif in the ancient world to make a theological point to his hearers. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so they, what they would say is Jesus is not relaying afterlife information. Here's what's happening right now in Hades. Right. Or here's what happened earlier. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, so, in Hades, here's a little story from Hades. He, that, that, some people take that view. Others do not take that right. view. Um, There's a book. For full disclosure, I think it's a parable. Um, the, the, the your mileage may vary. It's not, that's, a, that's a hermeneutical question. It's not a doctrine question. In uh, Steve Gregg, uh, another member of the Trinity Commission, yeah. in his book, um, All You Want to Know About Hell, he didn't like that title, but the publishers wanted him to go with it, um, Three Christian Views of God, uh, he, uh, he says, for example, references to the dead being carried by angels to Abraham's bosom and to the dead communicating among themselves and being able to see across the gulf between paradise and the place of flames are all found in the Talmud, okay? So that's one thing to mention. Also, James McKnight says, it must be acknowledged that our Lord's descriptions in this parable, he thinks it's a parable, are not drawn from the writings of the Old Testament, but have a remarkable affinity in the, in the descriptions which the Grecian poets have given. They, as well as our Lord, represent the abodes of the blessed as lying contiguous to the region of the damned and separated only by a great impassable river or deep gulf in such sort that the ghosts could talk to one another from the opposite banks. The parable says the souls of wicked men are tormented in flames. The Grecian mythologists tell us they lie in Phlegathon, the river. Okay, and Craig Blomberg... I thought they were with James Woods, you know, with the little 
plume flame. And <laughs> yeah, it's blue. That's like the to my mind the worst <laughs> of all Disney movies ever. <laughs> it is still the worst. was a great soundtrack, but the worst of all Disney movies. Craig Blomberg says one of the most misinterpreted of Jesus' parables is the story of the rich man Lazarus, which has been used repeatedly to provide in great detail a realistic depiction of life after death. In fact, the picture of the rich man in Sheol and Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, separated by a chasm but able to call to each other across it, is paralleled by popular Jewish and Egyptian folk tales. Jesus may have simply adopted well-known imagery, but then ad- adapted it in a new and surprising way, which is not mm-hmm. unusual for Jesus. Here's a story they're familiar with. All right. The mm-hmm. Same thing happens in the book of Jude with the book of Enoch, probably. You know, but Jesus takes something they were familiar with, except in their version of the story, the the rich and blessed man. You know, he gets to go to uh, to the heavenly place, and the the poor man get the downtrodden goes to the hellish place. And Jesus flips the script in Jesus' mm-hmm. fashion and says, "No, no, no, that's not the way it actually is." Um, also, in the book, and the reason I say that is because in the book, All You Want to Know About Hell by Steve Gregg, he actually has a footnote that references um, Douglas Jacoby. Um, I never know how to name, say his name right. Jacoby? Jacoby? Um, that there's a footnote there that gives you some evidence that we think we've actually uncovered, uh, like maybe the one, that if it is true, that, and it predates Christ's uh, earthly ministry. So there's some stuff to think about, right? Yeah. <laughs> I... I, I my, my take on this is it may give us an actual depiction of Hades, but it's still a parable. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think Jesus is a... saying, guess what happened earlier in Hades? Here's a little story about something that Abraham told me about. Now, right. I don't think that that's... It's not the point he was making. Right. Right? Does context um, matter? And even if indirectly we do get information sometimes from Scripture, this is not about Gehenna. This is about Hades. Right. Okay? Which is the main thing. Believe the Bible, people. Okay. Yeah. Um, so... So let's take a look at these three views now, okay? Like finally after long. <laughs> yeah, it's been yeah. like, uh, what, like 46 minutes? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so in three okay. minutes, let's give... <laughs> this is going to be a Laten Flowers episode where we no, go for like no, three no, hours. No, no, it's not going to okay? be a Laten um, well, right. At least that's a Google Hangout. His normal shows are... Yeah. You know. Okay. I've already channeled Laten Flowers by forgetting... Bible references and confusing names anyway. So this is a... Well, this is a treatment. This is our soteriology. This is how we honor soteriology 101 by getting things wrong a lot. Yeah. So the eternal conscious torment view, that's the traditionalist view. I love Leighton Flowers. He knows Um, And uh, the primary text that people use, Matthew 25, 41 and 46, Mark 9, 43 through 48, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, Revelation 14, 10 through 11, Revelation 19.20, Revelation 20.10 through 15, or 10 and 15. Notable advocates of this position, Tertullian, Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, and the majority of evangelical theologians throughout most, though not all, of church history. In, you know, uh, for a period of time, there were all three of these views were held by different churches in the ancient world. Yes. But the church at Rome became the big shot that their positions usually carried the day, and so ultimately... Yeah, you know. Now the Eastern Orthodox, they have room for all of this, because they're like, well, I mean, the Nicene Creed, and then everything else is just whatever. So you know, let's look at the Church Fathers. What do they say? So they they are more accommodating, I think, than evangelicalism is for trying to accommodate and have a big tent about perspectives on this, which I think is sad. But then you get people like remodeling basement. Ministries who are going to denounce Chris Date and Glenn Peoples from Rethinking Hell and probably Nick Quint 
you know, you're all going to hell because you don't believe that hell is eternal conscious torment and okay, but that doesn't, I don't think that gets anywhere. Yeah. Just like rethinking hell, not giving us their videos so that we can consider what they say at their conferences, that didn't get us anywhere either. You know, I mean, even the the Gospel Coalition, they give us their stuff and and for free. Well, so come on, uh, give us the time. That's enough you know? talking about rebutting Australia Ministries, and let's look at <laughs> um, the uh, the uh, eternal conscious torment view. Okay, so examining traditionalism. The so, they would say the soul of man is immortal. Mm-hmm. This is one answer to the justice of God. It's like, look, being made in the image of God means you are a the substance. Dualism is true. You have a body and you have a soul. That soul. Whoa, 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 whoa! What? That, that's not how we're like God. That we have a body. And a well, soul. I'm just saying. That, well, no, that we have a soul. <laughs> the soul is the part. Okay. They would I was say like, is whoa, like God. Wait a yeah, yeah. Who well, yeah, that's doing? a good caveat. They don't think that. God the Father does not have a physical hand right. or nose airs. Right. That sort of thing, right? But I mean... Uh, is I that, mean did I say that? Did I say we're like no, God and we have a body and soul? No, you didn't say that, but I thought you were saying that traditionalists say that. No, no, no. Traditionalists would say that that man has a spirit or soul and in that way is like God and right. not like the animals, okay? Okay. Um, and they would say souls are innately immortal, can't be destroyed, okay? Right. So for that reason... It's not that God wants to sustain you in hell. It's just that... He made your soul in such a way that it, it can't perpetually be, exists. Right, right. So, um... I mean, it, it could go out of existence if God wanted it to, but he built it not to. That's an interesting question to ask to ask someone. But the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 32 Well, reads, everyone believes that all things consist in Jesus. He holds Well, that's true. Together, yeah, so that's true. I, I think that's yeah. what they would say. I would okay. hope that... It's okay Uh, to quote the Bible. I can quote the Westminster Confession of Faith. Let's see what they say. In chapter 32, (laughs) it reads, quote, The bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption, but their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal substance, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of of that great day. Now, wait a minute. They go to hell, and then they, they are resurrected for judgment, and then go back to hell. Uh, let's take a second pass. Having immortal substance immediately returned to God who gave them, the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, yeah, where they remain in torment and utter darkness reserved to the judgment of that great day. And then they're judged and then they go back to hell. The Belgic Confession in Article 37 says the last judgment... See, this is why I tell people we have not improved on the Nicene Creed the evil ones, Creed and the Apostles' Creed. So quit trying, people. The evil ones shall be made immortal, but only to be tormented in the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay, so in this reading, the Belgic Confession says they are going to the same place that the devil and his angels are going, and it says they shall be made immortal. That begs the question, were they immortal, or was conditional immortality true until God granted them immortality before For the perpetual punishment. Okay. And, of course, they said the fires. Yeah, okay, so now that's the next question. Is the fire literal? Now, among traditionalists, there are a couple of views on this. Yes. Okay, the one view is John Walbert's view is that, no, this is literal fire. This is, <laughs> you are going to be the Nazis at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Your face yeah. will just be forever melting off, and you'll always be screaming. And um, Right. And that's Mark, one view. In Mark 9, Jesus says, you know, Fire that will never be quenched, worms that don't die. It's better to cut off your arms and legs and eye, gouge out your eye than to go there. 
You know that. But, that but that's thing. about worms and fires, though. That's not necessarily okay. about the people. Okay. That's what I, I'm just okay. playing devil's advocate. You're, you're here. jumping ahead, but yeah, right. yeah, okay. But John Walford, a modern theologian who continues to hold the view of literal fire, says the question is naturally raised as to whether the fire of eternal punishment is literal. However, the frequent mention of fire in connection with eternal punishment supports the conclusion that this is what the scriptures mean. Okay. You're literally going to be having your face melted off. Like by by contrast, most modern writers. Moray, Peterson, Yarbrough, Beale, see the flames as metaphorical, representing some preternatural phenomenon of exquisite misery, whether physical, emotional, or spiritual, for which no exact parallel from earth can be drawn. Earthly flames provide only the best possible, though still inadequate, analogy of it. Well, a lot of people will say it's this is more like undying worms and, and so forth and flames. So this is more shame language than pain language. And so... There's also other things like outer darkness, you know, and, and, and phrases like that, that they'll say what this is really trying to convey is, you know, mental and emotional anguish and torment, not necessarily physical pain. Sure. It's more it's So they would grant shame. that the fire is imagery and the smoke yes. and everything is imagery. Yes. But that the duration is still and the place is still is, is, is yeah, it's eternal and it's conscious and it's torment. Yeah. But it's more emotional and mental torment than it is physical pain. It kind of makes you think of the great divorce, right. where Lewis is in a place. Well, at I think first, they go a little bit worse than that. But it, well, it's like nothing is satisfying. Everybody hates each other. You know, yeah. this kind of a place. And they would say worse, obviously, yeah, because the presence of God is somehow not there. Right. Right. And, um, and that's where, even though if you're in Hades, the Old Testament says God's presence is there, but. <laughs> But I mean, it, they talk about this idea of separation, right? Mm-hmm. You're separated from the, the blessedness of the presence right. of God. And often it's pointed yeah. out that, look, and I've pointed this out many times, is like, look, even people on earth right now don't know what that's like because right. the, they still have this presence of God and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and what about, I, I, are you going to be me, sad? Well, if, well, for me, though, it's kind of, I, I get it just from my studies that the people who want to take the more... Understanding it as shame-based makes more sense in the old, in the New Testament context yeah. than this idea of well, you're just sad because you're not around God. This 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 current evangelical separation language, the the shame is that too, but it's understood more contextually, and I get that. Um, but there's still got to be a part of is that just trying to soft pedal the the torture chamber. Uh, right interpretation and uh here's the question though that traditionalists uh, you, you said that if you thought your dad was lost and that to eternal conscious suffering is certainly true that that would be horrible for you in heaven to be thinking about that yeah. well augustine comes to your rescue augustine said the unjust will burn to some extent so that all the just in the lord may look upon the judgments or the punishments which they have evaded in order that they may realize the more that they are richer in divine grace unto eternity, the more openly they see those evils are punished unto uh, eternity, which they have overcome by his help. Uh, so Augustine says, actually, you're going to be glad to look on this punishment and know that you didn't experience it. Right. But most will answer by interpreting Revelation 7.17, for the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of water of life. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And Revelation 21, 4, which says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. They interpret, a lot of people interpret those to mean that God will remove the memory 
of those who are in hell, because how could he wipe away every tear from your eye if you're thinking about your father burning in hell? It changed your perspective in light of God's holiness more than you would be forgetful. <clears throat> is how I would how I would answer that. Oh, it's, just, another, it's another just possible be, just speculative like, grid. It's not, yeah, I don't believe that you become... Some people believe that you become omniscient in heaven. Other people believe that you'll become forgetful so you, that you're not saddened by the loss of family members and loved ones in hell. I believe neither one of those extremes. I think that you'll just be so overcome with the joy of God that it, it, you, won't, you won't be reflective in sadness on those things. And you'll, under, you'll have full understanding of... You'll be just, at peace with it. Yeah, the just punishment that they, they received because in light of uh, Christ and in light of the glory of God... You will be at peace with it, and you'll understand, yes, you know, if my father had ended up there, I'd be like, okay, that's, that's what he had coming. In light of the glory of God, that's, that's appropriate. And you would come to that kind of understanding of it. That, that's how I would answer that question. <clears throat> okay. Um, though it may seem as though the punishment doesn't fit the crime, in other words, Hitler's going there, but so is the little lady who didn't really hurt anybody, you know, lived a pretty peaceful, peaceable life, yeah. but she just never became a Christian. Uh, though it seems as though the punishment doesn't fit the crime, eternal conscious suffering is deserved because you sinned against an everlastingly maximum. Right, Shed really God. makes this argument better than anyone. William G. T. Shed makes this argument that you know, offending an infinite being requires an infinite punishment. Now, there's a caveat to that that some people will make that I think is quite right about, you know, you'll get paid back that which you've done in the body. Mm-hmm. And so I do understand people who say that there will be various degrees of t- torment. Some people's hell, their flames will be less hot if you go that route, or their mental anguish will be less severe as others if you go that route, or some com- combination of the two. I mean, at this point, I want to say that for eternal conscious torment, just understanding how that rhetoric works in the uh, ancient Mediterranean world, the everlasting torture chamber view is the least likely uh, way to go with eternal conscious torment. It's because it, it, uh, I, I believe that it would be best to understand that in, in, in or or in shame language. or John Walvert is right, and he's like, yeah, or. It says that because that's what it is, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't. But that's uh, he's a theologian. He's not an exegete. I'm just saying exegetically when I look at this language and, and yeah, look at it's this, honor it's, shame language, right? And we'll get to this later. But it, it just casts back to the, Old the Testament. The everlasting torture chamber is not the same thing as eternal conscious torment. But it, but it and, also casts back to yeah. Old Testament fire and smoke language yeah. uh, that Jesus is citing. You know, referencing. Yeah, which okay. was a shameful event in Israel's right. history. So, and it even in the, and in the Old yeah. Testament is yeah. people are going to walk past and be like, "There was Israel, right? Great people of God." And all so, that. I, I find um, least compelling the uh, eternal conscious torture. Well, view. fine then. Okay, uh, a God of justice must dispense justice. Okay, that's another reason that, however you interpret this eternal conscious suffering, and it may not, it may bother you emotionally, but. You know what? Like, and you would agree with this that, like, if if that's true, then this is what happens when you not only plug in he's a god of love, but he's also a god of justice, right? A god of justice must dispense justice, right? Yeah. All right. I just don't so, see the idea of a torture chamber being. No, like I know. I was trying here. to just move yeah. us along off that okay. point. Okay. Um, but a- if you believe that, it's totally fine. That's um, for me um, of the eternal conscious torment view. 
uh, talking about the shame language, uh, I go that route on that perspective. I'm not convinced. But if you are convinced that it's an everlasting torture chamber, then that should motivate you to go do evangelism. I completely understand. <clears throat> I respect that point of view uh, because you're, you, you look at the biblical language and you, that's what you think from it. And that's yeah. fine. Uh, I, my, I'm not compelled by the, well, it's, it's, you're just separated from God and it's eternal separate. That in and by itself without any sort of explanation well, it doesn't match the, falls the, the, flat. the historical context. Right, that falls right. flat for me. Okay, besides the material covered in the terminology section that we, mm-hmm. we talked about, the four words that are talked about with hell, um, there are some other passages, Daniel 12, 2. Now, this is interesting because it's an Old Testament passage. Daniel 12, 2 says, quote, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Okay. Right. Matthew 12. And the, the Matthew, question there... And the debate is, are they held that right. way? Are they experiencing... Right, right. The, the conditional immortality people, which we'll talk right. about that later, but they, they would say the contempt is everlasting and the, the sentence is still everlasting. Yeah. In other words, if you put a man to death in the physical world right now, if you put a man to death, that punishment is everlasting. Mm-hmm. He won't come back, right? That's, right. <laughs> he's everlastingly and, and punished. And so that's one of those verses that... Um, but that, the word contempt is there, which matches the... Uh, socio-rhetorical point you want to make. Yeah. Um, and, of course, it's Daniel and Daniel, like Revelation, and you're like, what are we... Now, what's interesting, because you read from the Westminster Confession of Faith about, you know, that language about those who are asleep, mm-hmm. it, that seems to... If, if you want to take literal, if that's your thing, why, why would the Westminster deny soul sleep, and then yet the Bible does give this language of sleeping... For those well, who are departed. Yeah, but, you know, it's a pretty understood thing that in the ancient world, both the world of the Old Testament and the New Testament, to sleep is a is a euphemism for, for dead. For dead, yeah. right. No, I'm just saying if you're pushing language, if you're pushing oh, yeah. words... If you're like, let's be all literal. Right, right. if you're going to push words, <laughs> yeah. then why are you not pushing okay. that word? Okay, um, fair enough. Because, um, you know... the. Doesn't matter. Any, you're always going to hear, yeah. Well, the idea of a soul or whatever is Plato anyway, or whatever. You, you know, you always hear people use, which right. I don't talk like that. People, that's silly. Uh, for some reason, Plato or Greek philosophy becomes the whipping boy for all the things that people don't like about Christianity, and I, that get over it. That's uh, the shallowest complaint ever. Finished. I could rant about that okay. some more. Oh. <laughs> okay. So Matthew 25, 41, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 46, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Seeming to draw a parallel between, between the everlasting life. punishment and ever and eternal life or everlasting right. life. Um, 2 Thessalonians 1 9, we talked about already, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence right, of the Lord. This was my problem on that verse, real quick. Just want to pause yeah, because yeah. I know uh, this is what drove me nutty about Rob Bell's sloppy book. Because he would talk about this everlasting language just for a long period of time, right? But you get to a verse like that, and it, the parallel is the everlasting punishment, whatever you make of the punishment, whatever, and the everlasting life. Why would we not conclude then that this everlasting life is not perpetual existence without end? Why would we just think that, well, if, the, if this is for a really long time, 
then right. this everlasting life is for a really long only time. for a really long right. time. But then you're going to eventually not exist. Right. You right. Know? Yeah. That kind of sloppy thinking is what always bugged me about certain ways people argue over these positions, whether it's the conditionalist or the a uh, traditionalist or the well, and you have to make that decision on context. We'll talk about yeah. it next time, but you know, Ionios. Well, I know it can be a different thing, to, but I'm, no, I'm talking about right yeah. there. You have the parallel. Yeah, yeah. That is not a proof text to try to get your right to, right. to make a point about that right. word. Right. Otherwise, for either side, maybe. Yeah, yeah. because otherwise we lose eternal yeah. life, and that because well, well, you'll you'll exist for a, a long time, and then yeah. you'll stop. Okay, so, that's not what Jesus is saying. So then Revelation 20.10, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Right? Uh, Revelation 20.14-15, then, uh, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Okay? Now, so, uh, what... Real quickly, and then we're going to close out this episode, and this is going to be a two-part episode. Uh, we'll talk about conditional... So all that stuff where I say we're going to get it done in one shot out the window. <laughs> yeah, and on top of that, the stuff that people probably really wanted to hear about is next week. But um, but let's talk about the benefits of the traditional view because we want to we want to look at all these things, the pros and cons. The benefits of the traditional view, it does take a straightforward approach to the text. I'm ready for you to go off about that. Depends on your... I mean, yes... Overall, when you read Mark chapter nine and he's talking about fire that never ends, right. and smoke that rises forever, yes. and you better cut off an arm not to go there. Well, the, again, the traditional view allows you yeah. to be like, means what it says. Yeah, right? but that means what it says either for the traditional view that holds right. to shame language versus torture chamber. But right. I, it has, so I, I agree with that. However, you interpret those passages, mm-hmm. and and under the traditional view. I would. I would. Lean it may not allow it. you to flatly read like that some other texts, right? You know, but it does. You know, well, it's straightforward. No matter how you exegete and understand right. whether you think those are metaphors or, or literal flames, or it also presents the most forceful view of judgment. If that's a positive thing, because what? Because we're going to say God is. I think that's a positive. If thing. we're looking at God as the maximally loving yeah. being. And then we want to say he's maximally just too. Well, you don't get more maximal justice than this. Yes, right? and, and, and seriously, because we have so many good arguments for the truth of Christianity in general, this should scare the hell out of people. Yeah. It literally should. Yeah, it is frightening. And it should be preached and proclaimed. Penn, uh, what's the, the Penn and Teller guy? Penn, G- G- Penn Gillette. Yeah. Gillette. Mm-hmm. Okay, he, he was even saying, look, if this is where you think we're going... You ought to be telling You need to be telling people, and I have no respect for you if you don't. And I think he's yes. absolutely right and about famously, that. And yeah. famously, uh, Will the Atheist on, on the show said, yeah. uh, if you really believe that, then you ought to be trying to do oh, evangelistic course. apologetics absolutely. with me. Yeah. yeah. Um, it also enjoys a rich history in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, that counts for something. I mean... I, I, I think it does. I don't think it's the end-all, the It's not the a all. clincher. Yeah. You know, it doesn't slam-dunk the thing because actually it doesn't necessarily... It doesn't have... It, it, it does have a rich history in the church. Some of these other views have history in the church. Not as, as widely... Ex- as, but as far back, you know, like... As old, but not as wide. Right, right, yeah. right. That's without question. Okay. Right. But when you listen to like Chris for the evidence, Day, for the textual, Chris Date argue yeah. against Al Mohler uh, on Unbelievable Radio, and Al, Al Mohler got stopped. Al Mohler, he got. I'm stopped. sorry, but Al Mohler, Al Mohler seems Mohler, like his only argument was 
Church but tradition. But this is church tradition. I'm like, and, okay, well, you're supposed to be like a reformer, man. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's I not mean, fair. Al Mohler got obliterated. No, actually, by it's totally fair. That's what happened. Yeah, it's, it's okay. what happened. Um, I would not want to debate Chris Date on this. This is his thing. Right. And if I was... He's the guy at Rethinking Health. Right. And if I was to come at him with this traditionalist view, I would probably do worse than Phil Hernandez, who also did terrible, and I love Phil. Oh, Phil. I love Phil. (laughs) I like Phil. (laughs) I do, too. I'm just saying, that taught me that if if you want to make this your issue, you better step your game up, because I've seen Chris date flat out every opponent. You know what I think happens? And I don't want to say this is Phil. And he's the nicest Calvinist you'll ever meet, too. I don't want to say this is Phil, and I don't want to... Who? Chris oh, Chris Day. Day. I was about to say, Phil's yeah. a Molinist, I think. But yeah. um, but the thing about this is, I think some of these guys that debate Chris Date or some of these other people, what they do is, I, th- I think, I could be wrong. Maybe Chris Date would tell me I'm wrong. But I think what happens is they they get like Luke 16 and uh, you know Revelation 19 and 20, and they're like, I mean, Bam, this, this is going to be the easiest debate I've ever had. Right. Just roll in there and read the Bible, man. You know, yeah. I Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. That's what it looks yeah, like. It looks that way. And everybody that I've seen debate Chris on this gets smashed. It's not even close. Which doesn't necessarily mean Chris is right. I, I'm just saying. No, I'm just saying in the debate, yeah. I, would, I would I would not want to look as defeated as his opponents do right. if I went in there trying to defend it. I would have to seriously put some... you got to put some work into it. So and I don't think Al Mohler uh, put in work, and I don't think Phil Hernandez, who did marginally better than Al Mohler... Both of them got smashed, and those are the only. Maybe Chris Day's lost a debate um, on this issue. Those are the only two that I know of on this issue. On this issue yeah. that Chris has had, but I was like, "Dang, that guy knows his stuff on this issue." And those guys did not look like they knew their stuff because I was even thinking, "Well, I don't have a dog in it because I don't care." But it's not something I'm going to argue. But I was thinking from the traditionalist perspective. Well, here's how I would say, and here's how I would execute. Right, right. I bring in all my stuff. Uh, just are you throwing down the gauntlet to Chris Day? Heck no, he would <laughs> demolish me. I think um, this episode is the one where you could maybe get away with hell no. <laughs> yeah, hell no. I'm okay. not debating um, Chris Day. Well, and, and also, cat out of the bag, I, this is one of those things that I'm totally agnostic on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I am torn between the traditional view understood in uh, eternal conscious torment as shame and contempt and torment. Not but that's portrait. still the traditionalist. But that's view. still the traditionalist view. Uh-huh. I I am fifty fifty. I am a undecided fence sitter at this point between that and conditional immortality. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I, I understand, according to um, uh, remodeling basement ministries, that I could just for being on the fence go to hell for all eternity and uh, whatever. Um, that's where I'm at. I, I am literally undecided because you cannot just dismiss the traditionalist view and its historical pedigree, but you cannot dismiss the exegetical case uh, from the, the conditional immortality view. And so I'm literally, I could go either way. It's not a, I'm not going to hell, so it doesn't matter to me. Um, but as far as just as academically considering both positions, I am literally on the fence. So, again, that's enough talking about the regurgitating Augustine ministries. And let's talk <laughs> about, uh, let's close this down. Um, Man, that's so, like, what was your other one? Something about Australia? I don't know. Uh, but reforming Australia. There's more to come. But here's Brilliant. the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, we're going to have to turn this into two episodes. Yes. Now, 
next week you'll hear what you know uh, how I think you can preach hell uh, as an agnostic like me. Well, uh, responsibly, okay. <laughs> Um, and so we're, and then we'll talk about the conditional immortality view, and we'll talk about the evangelical universalism view, which is um, not compelling on the next all. on the next episode. Uh, okay, I think we're I think we're done with this uh, circle of hell in this section. Yes. Um, so uh, make sure to again don't go anywhere. Okay. Um, please prayerfully consider the Patreon giving option. Yes. A cup of coffee. A cup. A cup, especially if you made it this far. You, no, we said we give away Neil. Well, if they give a hundred dollars, first person to give a hundred dollars <laughs> in the Patreon gets Neil. Yeah, but honestly, with the five dollar giving, we'll put you, we'll put your name in the credits on upcoming shows. Yes. Um, uh, with I, I don't remember what I said, but like with ten dollar giving, we'll give you a free ebook copy of my book Core Facts. If you already have Core Facts, we'll give you another ebook. Um, if you give twenty dollars or more, we'll give you access to a little extra segment from Trinity Radio each month. Um, in addition to all the other stuff, if you give $50 or more, we'll, uh, give you everything that we've already mentioned and we'll give you, what did I say? A physical copy of a book or something Trinity like that. Books, uh, and, and then if you give a hundred dollars or more, not only do, if you're the first one, do you get Neil, um, show him Neil, grab oh. Neil and, uh, you'll get that. You'll get everything else that we mentioned. And I'm, I, I've about convinced my wife, Sarah, who is has sold thousands of products on uh, that she's made with her own hands, uh, crocheted hats and stuff like that on Etsy to make you a custom Trinity Radio hat that in in your choice of color. All right, if you're a hundred dollar a month uh, a supporter, so I'm confident she'll never have to do that. <laughs> but but you never know. You can now, volunteer your wife for things that'll never. Somebody come said to me like, well, I could give to. a some kid in Africa or something so he could eat. Why am I giving to you guys? Well, because here's why. Uh, first of all, you don't only have $5. You can also give to the kid in Africa. But uh, on top of that, uh, we're trying to answer theological questions so that people can preach more effectively and do theology more effectively. And also, when we do the Why I'm a videos, uh, where we respond to someone on uh, YouTube or something, we let them know and give them the video, and then we've been evangelizing people in the YouTube comment threads there and on our page. Yes, Patreon, and, find the link in the so, thing. Anyway, let's... Okay. So, so the point is, it's going to go to, I think, a worthy cause. Our mm -hmm. wonderful sister podcasts, Bible Rowdown, The Narrow Path, and Soteriology 101, which just started a new group, and we're placing bets of how fast his group... Blake Flowers group will blow past all of ours yeah. um, like his podcast and um, the Trinity Commission is the uh, consortium of all of these podcasts and we invite you to check us out on Facebook check us out on Twitter and so forth um, if you would like to learn informally you of course can view okay, our back links. panel let's talk about the links because I forgot to tell them Okay, number one, trinitysem.edu, S-E-M, trinity, S-E-M.edu. Yeah, I was getting to that if you wanted to learn formally. Well, but you're going to leave one out, okay? Patreon.com slash trinityradio. I didn't tell them where they could do this. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash trinityradio. Go ahead. Okay, if you want to learn informally, uh, braxtonhunter.com. You can listen to um, several different lectures, debates, read your blog and things like that. Help um, class is not there. No, that's for... But if you want it, that might be something for the Patreon. Oh, well, maybe. Uh, maybe. Or you we'll can just see. pay $35 to audit the course. Yeah. 
Um, and you can learn informally at Trinity if you would like to audit courses. We have a lot of books, too. So Trinity has a bookstore, trinitysim.edu slash bookstore, maybe, or store, something like that. And um, a gift shop. Yeah, and we have a gift shop. Uh, you can look at our good friend Austin Long, for example, who sports his wonderful Trinity hoodie. It's awesome. Um, yeah, and you get that. You can get at... these on T-shirts, even. Um, we've got what's the name of the What's the name of the T-shirt company that we use? Cafe Press? CafePress.com slash Trinity Gift Shop. Okay. It will get you there. And we could put links in the description. Yeah, we could. Um, and oh all kinds of stuff. We, we've got all kinds of stuff. We don't have Trinity Radio <coughs> merch yet. We need to get Trinity Radio merch. Okay, so in an hour and 17 minutes, they feel like they've been through hell with us. So We we'll told see, you at the beginning. <laughs> we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. Thank you.